You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Russia's Ministry of Defense says its website sustained a distributed denial-of-service attack this morning. Facebook disrupts a complex Iranian catfishing operation aimed at military personnel and employees of defense and aerospace companies. Microsoft and Citizen Lab describe the recent operations of an Israeli intercept tool vendor. The U.S. shows no signs of relenting on Huawei. Johannes Ulrich from the Sands Technology Institute has been hunting fishing sites with Shodan. Our guest is Rick Van Gallen from 1Password with insights from their Hiding in Plain Sight report. And there's nothing new on the R-Evil front. The gang is as much in the wind as it was early this week. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, July 16th, 2021. TASS reports that a website belonging to Russia's Ministry of Defense was taken offline this morning by a distributed denial-of-service attack. According to Reuters, the attack was stopped and access restored in about an hour. Russian authorities attribute the attack to a source outside the Russian Federation. Facebook yesterday said it had disrupted an operation by the Iranian threat group Tortoise Shell, whose fake persona used Facebook in an initial catfishing approach to military personnel and people who work in the defense and aerospace sector. As Facebook put it, fewer than 200 inauthentic accounts were disabled. These accounts often posed as recruiters and employees of defense and aerospace companies from the countries their targets were in. Other personas claimed to work in hospitality, medicine, journalism, NGOs, and airlines— The initial lure was generally the prospect of discussing employment opportunities. The operation as a whole was patient, complex, and designed for plausibility. Most of the intended targets were in the U.S., with some in Europe. Tortoiseshell used Facebook to establish contact and trust, eventually hoping to persuade its prospects to contact them in other ways and channels, and those other channels were where the malware payloads were delivered. Tortoise Shell is thought to have connections with the well-known Iranian threat actors APT-34, commonly called Helix Kitten, 
an APT-35, known to many as Charming Kitten. The tool's tortoise shell deploys against its targets include remote-access Trojans, device and network reconnaissance tools, and keyloggers, many of which were developed by Mahak Rayan Afraz, a Tehran-based IT company associated with the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. It's not the first operation of this kind that in recent years has been traced to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Wired describes some of Tehran's earlier efforts along these lines. Quote, Symantec noted back in 2019 that the group had also used some software tools also spotted in use by Iran's APT-34 hacking group, which has used social media lures across sites like Facebook and LinkedIn for years. Mandiant's Hultquist says it roughly shares some characteristics with the Iranian group known as APT-35-2, which is believed to work in the service of the IRGC. APT-35's history includes using an American defector, military intelligence defense contractor Monica Witt, to gain information about her former colleagues that could be used to target them with social engineering and phishing campaigns. End quote. Iran has historically used online methods in developing target dossiers on persons of interest to its intelligence services. This most recent campaign seems to be squarely in that operational tradition. Also yesterday, the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, Mystic, and the Microsoft Security Response Center, MSRC, reported on the activities of a private sector offensive actor, a company that would probably characterize itself as a lawful intercept vendor. The company, which Microsoft assigned the name Sourgum, is selling intercept tools to governments that are using them to monitor the communications of journalists, dissidents, and other people in bad odor with the regime deploying the intercept tool. Microsoft wrote, quote, Sourgum generally sells cyber weapons that enable its customers, often government agencies around the world, to hack into their target's computers, phones, network infrastructure, and Internet-connected devices. These agencies then choose who to target and run the actual operations themselves. End quote. Microsoft calls the Intercept software itself, which exploits Windows Zero Days patched this week, Devil's Tongue. Targets of the surveillance tool have been found in the Palestinian Authority, which had about half of the victims identified, Israel, Iran, Lebanon, Yemen, Spain, specifically Catalonia, the United Kingdom, Turkey, Armenia, and Singapore. As Microsoft observes, the location of a target isn't perfectly correlated with the government using sour gum. International targeting of individuals is common, and none of the countries listed are necessarily users of devil's tongue. Microsoft acknowledged the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab for its assistance in the investigation, and Citizen Lab identifies Sour Gum as the Tel Aviv-based company whose original name was Kandiru. Kandiru's past customers are believed to include Uzbekistan, Qatar, Singapore, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. The company has been through several rebrandings since its founding in 2014. In 2020, it assumed its current name, Saito Tech Limited. Some of the corporate names appear to represent low-cunning gestures toward misdirection. Citizen Lab and others reporting the incident have generally been sticking to the first name the company did business as. Kandiru's intercept tools aren't confined to Windows systems, The Register notes that the company also offers products that can monitor iPhones, 
Android devices, and Macs. More than 750 domains are said to have been used to host Candiru's surveillance software. Many of those domains misrepresent themselves as belonging to media companies, advocacy groups, and civic organizations, which suggests that journalists and activists, not criminals or terrorists, are the probable quarry. Candiru, or Saito, is the latest of a series of intercept tool vendors based in Israel to run afoul of legal and reputational trouble for their willingness to assist repressive regimes conduct surveillance of domestic targets. The best known of these is NSO Group, currently engaged in a lawsuit brought in U.S. federal court by WhatsApp. Huawei is unlikely to receive a reprieve from its present restriction from U.S. markets. The present U.S. administration has, through the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security, reasserted its predecessor's strictures against the Chinese company, Fox Business reports. And finally, there's nothing new about our evil or Russia-based ransomware gangs, generally. Sekplicity has blogged its opinion that our evil probably hasn't gone anywhere, that such groups rarely disappear entirely. So, perhaps the gang has temporarily gone to ground. There have been no official announcements of takedowns or other enforcement actions against our evil. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The folks at 1Password recently published a report titled Hiding in Plain Sight, How Secrets Mismanagement is the Next Big Cybersecurity Threat. The report outlines the challenges IT and DevOps leaders face when keeping track of the wide spectrum of valuable secrets they're charged with keeping and securing. Rick Van Hollen is a security engineer at 1Password, 
and he joins us with highlights from the report. You know, at 1Password, we're, we're always about making secrets management uh, easy to, to everyone. And we just started wondering what's going on with uh, the folks that, uh, that probably have the hardest time and the most you know, impactful uh, consequences to mistakes in the process. So how are they doing secrets management? Um, and those folks, of course, are IT and DevOps folks. So uh, we reached out to them uh, to see what they had to say. Well, let's go through some of the details together. What are some of the uh, things that you uncovered here? You know, there's a there's a bunch of interesting stuff in there in here. So the first is just you know the scale of the problem. So sixty five percent, almost two in three respondents, they say they. Uh, have more than 500 secrets to manage. That's that's a large number. And one in five even say that they don't know how many they have. They have more than they can count. How exactly do you define a secret in this case? What would, what would be categorized as that? That's a great question to to define it. So any, any secret is something that you uh, most often use to access other systems. So the, the, the traditional example, of course, are just you know regular passwords. But especially in IT and DevOps cases, you, uh, you, you can extend that to things like API keys that must be shared amongst a bunch, a bunch of people, or SSH private keys, or client certificates. Basically anything that you use to go from one system uh, to another. Now, if secrets management is hard, if it's hard for people to find where they keep secrets or they lose them and they need stuff being reset, that slows down project time. And a longer project time leads to, you know, missing delivery dates. And that leads to, you know, an overall rise of cost in in, uh, making your product or service. One of the things that struck me in your uh, report here also was that uh, very often, for example, like if an employee leaves an organization, there may be a lag time between when they leave and and all of the things that they had access to get shut down or or the you know the, there's a lot of information that can still be flowing that shouldn't be mhm mhm no yeah that's 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 a very common problem and i i'm 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 totally not surprised to see that in the reports it's it's just uh, very hard to keep track of which secrets somebody who's leaving the company had access to and it's very very hard to be complete and not only is it hard to be complete, it's also hard to be even near complete on rolling all the secrets that, you know, that are necessary when somebody leaves. And that's just because you know, it's, it's very difficult to keep track of what this person was able to access in the first place. So based on the information that you all gathered here, what are your recommendations? What, what can organizations do to better get on top of this? Right. So I think what's really key here is, is, is to remove friction. So a bunch of these uh, these numbers in our report they really strongly indicate is that you know that people are experiencing a lot of friction working with secrets management, and uh, as a result, you know you're seeing workarounds or uh, lack of manageability, lack of auditability. And what we really recommend is setting up a a, a system you know where where uh, where secrets are automatically deployed into infrastructure, where uh, it's easy for everybody to get access to the secrets that they, that they need access to and make sure that that system is actually something that is you know, intended to, to keep track of secrets right? with the proper encryption and the proper access controls and the proper auditability. One thing that I, I'd like to point out, and this, this ties into the, uh, into, the, into the reducing friction part of this, 
is that you see, if you look at the distribution of how many people are employing bad, are admitting to employing bad security practices, like you know, sharing secrets between projects, is that you see the number rise up amongst VPs, which is, is quite telling because you know, whom amongst uh, IT and DevOps folks are the least tolerant to this kind of friction? It's likely gonna be the VPs. But those are also in the position to, to actually make a change in, in how secrets management is being done. So um, I'd like to call on them to, to think about this problem and, uh, and uh, take some action. That's Rick Van Hollen from 1Password. The report is titled Hiding in Plain Sight, How Secrets Mismanagement is the Next Big Cybersecurity Threat. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISE Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Um, you got a, an interesting uh, method, an interesting technique for trying to hunt down some phishing sites. What can you share with us today? Yeah, thanks for having me again, Dave. Uh, so uh, this is about trying to find websites that impersonate your brand and there's nothing really you can do against someone setting up a website like that. Uh, the trick is how do you find it? Uh, and then, of course, you know, how do you initiate some kind of a takedown process or so for it? Mm. In some cases, you got it easy and the fisher was lazy and it's just including images from your website directly, saving the fisher's bandwidth, uh, but of course giving you hints that someone is loading these images with an odd referrer, for example, well, uh, the better fishers, they wised up to that. They host their own images. After all, they probably don't pay for hosting anyway. Uh, so um, we, ha we have a nice tool here, Shodan. Uh, Shodan turns out indexes these little fav icons. These are the little icons that you often see displayed in the URL bar, depending on your browser. And well, uh, the attacker, of course, will copy that image uh, from your site in order to have a good representation of your site. And you can search Shodan for these images. Mm. Uh, Shodan actually converts these images into a 32-bit number. There's something called a murmur hash they're using here uh, mm. to do that. So once you know what that hash is for your fav icon, it's really easy uh, to plug that into Shodan, get a list of all the sites that use that particular fav icon, and well, uh, then, of course, you still have to figure out 
which one is actually a phishing site or just some marketing person setting up a, a website without you knowing about it. Right, right. Release the takedown notices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen them also go wrong, kind of in a way you basically don't know about all the legitimate websites uh, that necessarily are used for your brand. That's that can be right, a little bit tricky right. too. Yeah. Right, I suppose, especially if you're an international brand, you know, it could be that uh, you know the the. The, the European division of your company is up to something that, that maybe you, you weren't tracking that closely. Yeah, and uh, you, know, you often have some of that uh, often cited shadow IT where people aren't happy with the speed at which uh, you implement things uh, because of all those stupid security checks. Uh, so uh, they just go out there mm-hmm. and uh, set up uh, their little website themselves. Also found a couple of development sites that way, you know, where you do hire mm-hmm. a company to develop a website for you and uh, they leave the development site exposed to the world, which is kind of a nice find too. So it's not always a phishing site that that is a good find, but uh, something like these exposed development sites also kind of a good good thing to find. Yeah, for sure. All right, interesting stuff. Uh, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday program and my conversation with Nathan Howe from Zscaler. We're going to be discussing their research on emerging attacks and how best to counter them. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.